Hello, good evening and welcome to Straight Talking English. I'm Catherine, I am a qualified English teacher who will be speaking to you in a most unteacherly fashion about the AQA anthology poems and set text for your literature exam. After last episode and how frankly grumpy I was about having to talk about Wilfred Owen, let's talk about a nice one, let's talk about more of a fun one, Ozymandias. It might be pronounced Ozymandias but I'm going to stick to Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley. As ever, let's look at the context first. Percy Bysshe Shelley is the husband of Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. They're both growing up in this quiet questioning environment about where mankind is going. There's the industrial revolution going on, this absolute explosion of science and industry, and quite a few poets and writers began to consider whether this is a good thing or not. When I say that Shelley is a romantic poet, I mean capital R as a literary movement, not romantic as in I love you, hearts and roses. Though I will be talking about love's philosophy, which is I love you, hearts and roses, just to contradict myself. The romantic movement with a capital R means an obsession with nature and spirituality. Basically, nature can tell you everything that you need. The countryside is how things are supposed to be. Spirituality doesn't necessarily link to one faith set of rules. Why can't we all just go off and live like that? There's obviously a few problems with that. And with the growth of cities, horrible pollution, it's fairly understandable. But this theme of nature as the main conflict is shown in Ozymandias and a couple of other of his romantic contemporaries, specifically The Prelude, another poem that I hate and I'm going to have to force myself to do it in a few episodes time. In terms of direct context though, we know exactly what inspired Shelley to write this. A new exhibition opened at the British Museum of Stuff from Ancient Egypt and the museum had even open a few years. So when Shelley went along, he saw the statue of Ramesses II, which I'm going to include as the title image for this podcast if you want to see it. And if you're down in London, you can go see it at the British Museum even now. It's the head, shoulders and half the torso of a man and the rest of it is crumbled away. Ramesses II was a mighty pharaoh and now he's just a bit of lump in a museum. And it was that loss of power and becoming of an object that really inspired Shelley to write this um, completely fictional poem. It is a really powerful sculpture, actually, so I do recommend looking at Ramesses slash Ozymandias and the flesh, or the, the marble, but you know what I mean. As ever, let's start with how it looks on the page. It's one solid block, no stanza, just one big Thing. We've got some rhyming, but not consistent. So, land, stand, stone, frown? I mean, I, I, I can't say it as thrown or stown, but that's a half rhyme. We've got the same final phoneme. Uh, red, fed, appeared, appear, despair, decaying away. So, we've we got a little bit of a rhyme. The most interesting thing, though, is it's divided between who's telling it. So, we have the speaker, I met 
quote a traveller who said, so the speaker is reporting what this traveller said to us and then they become the speaker. Instantly we've got this question about power. Who is in power? Who holds the power? Arguably it's the I, but then it's a traveller showing the narrative. When we get back, when we get forward a little bit more, could be the sculptor, could be Osimandius himself. So they go out into the desert, they see these two legs, the traveller is inspired to tell us. Again, we've got the again we've got the conflict between man and nature as shown in exposure comes up again in the prelude so if you've got a question on where is how does this present conflicts yeah if you've got a question about how does this show power we've got this question already coming out who has the power it's actually really interesting because looking at this there are 14 lines and the rhythm is shakespearean what am i describing it is of course a sonnet it's not following the shakespearean pattern it's a petrarchan sonnet which is the roman version it's what shakespeare nicked the structure of when i talk about sonnet 29 it's in the same form when i said the rhymes the rhythms funny i mean it's an iambic pentameter that means 10 syllables every other one is stressed i met a traveler from an antique land it's the same as shall i compare thee to a summer's day iambic pentameter is really really cool and i only learned this recently it represents the beating of the human heart because if you say it with the right intonation it goes burdum burdum but um, like your heartbeat. Question is, whose heartbeat is symbolised? Is it that the character of Ozymandias is almost still alive? Because his legacy is here. Is it the life of the desert? Because the desert is a character almost. Or is it the traveller or the, the original speaker's heart beating faster and faster and faster at this exciting story? Honestly, we don't really know. Let's talk about some language explicitly because I haven't really been doing that that much yet. We've got this dialogue in the middle. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. King of kings. Well, I'm under the impression a lot of people would say that about Jesus. So it's got this sense of power that he's so triumphant that he's mocking the Messiah. Obviously, the temptation right there to say he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy is high. If you haven't seen Life of Brian, see Life of Brian. But think about the ye. People didn't speak like that in the 18th century. People spoke like that pre-Shakespeare. Pre We're talking like the age of Chaucer, Canterbury Tales, Knights in Armour. Gives us a sense of how old of Zamandia is supposed to be but also it gives it this mythical quality because we think as I mentioned knights in armor we've seen things with a mythical quality elsewhere which is charge of the light brigade think as well the imperative form look on my works ye mighty and despair imperative form is the instruction form of sentences what in primary school you might call bossy verbs or bossy sentences he's giving the instructions he can decide people's emotions we've got some nice alliteration coming out at the end 
the lone and level sand stretch. Alliteration is used to create a sense of urgency. So it might be that the traveller's message is really urgent. I kind of like that it's flipped on its head here because nothing is urgent. He's a statue that's half buried in the sands. We've also got this sibilance with the sand stretch. It sounds like whoosh. We've got this sensory impression of the wind and the sands. We've got our enjambment or enjambment where a sentence starts and is carried on to the next line without a break in the punctuation. It gives a sense of natural speech. So it makes the traveller's tale seem like it's a genuine thing a person is saying. But also it creates a sense of flow. If you see it, it normally always represents flow. So is it the wind flowing? Is it time? Is it the sand flowing over the statue? We don't know. Something is flowing. Come back to this question of power though. It's obvious that Ozymandias is powerful. We've got the alliteration again cold command it is ironic because he's half a head in the sand everything is shattered but the sculpture well those passions read which yet survive well on those which yet survive stamped on those lifeless things the hand that mocked them who is mocking who is it that the sculptor is laughing at ozymandias and is i don't know like sculpted him a monobrow or something or is ozymandias so arrogant that he laughs at everyone even the sculptor who can create him i really like the three word sentence nothing beside remains it's there because a short sentence is used to draw our attention to something it's basically subliminal because we're trained that our eyes have to rest on a full stop so we have this stop start stop start why highlight that because it represents the loneliness it makes it quite poignant it's normally when i teach this i say a short sentence creates tension but it doesn't here it's almost this lack of tension think about all the adjectives though used to describe this statue colossal wreck it's decaying it's bare he's sneering shattered sunk everything that was great in his arrogance has now been disappeared by nature there is a lot of links we can make here arrogant aristocracy my last duchess absolutely one person setting out to say this is why i'm so great absolutely if you want to make a thematic point about man against nature exposure prelude maybe kamikaze if you if you were feeling lucky and you wanted to stretch it we can also group them by time as well so if you wanted to make a link with Blake, Blake's London, Wordsworth's Prelude. Light Brigade is a little bit later, but you could make a link with pre-modern, like pre-20th century poetry. As a personal reaction, I really like Ozymandias because it comes across almost as a play script We've got these several voices coming through. The very, like, matter-of-fact original speaker. The traveller who seems a little bit reflective and a bit sad. And then these two lines from the emperor himself, the king of kings, giving a third voice. 
He's crammed a lot into this sonnet. The reason that Shakespeare loved them so much is because many contemporary audiences thought this was the most beautiful way of talking. I mean, it makes you sound like an idiot if you say things, I think this poem is so good. Yeah, 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 no one's going to talk like that. But the idea of wrapping so much into a small space is really cool if you can do it. And this is genuinely a very nice poem. There's also not much of it so it's easy to learn the quotes from it and let's face it practicality here i'm in a bit of a shelly mood and i'm busting through these podcasts at the moment so the next one i'll be looking at will be love's philosophy from the relationships cluster which is shelly's slightly cringy attempt to get a girl to go out with him thank you very much for listening if you found this interesting If you have any questions, any feedback, please let me know. Please subscribe. I'll be going through all of the texts and all of the poems eventually. And have a lovely evening. Happy annotating.